Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 472 on Monday, the 9th of May, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be looking at a spreadsheet. We watch on as someone who was not leaving one company leaves said company. And we wish we had enough time on our hands to complain about car adverts. I have an extra one to add this week. And this week, we talk about cars, everyone. (laughs) Never mind mobility. This week, we talk about cars. First piece of car news. SMMT new car registration figures for April came out Mm. the other day, last week. New car market has declined 15.8%. That's the headline number. Year on year. Year on year. On an already not good month last year. Yes, it's not great. Well, it's still better than 2020. That's all we have to say. Better than 2020 when it dropped, was it 90-something percent? So it was only 119,167 units registered in april obviously uh, supply constraints being the major reason for that that said battery electric vehicles i mean battery electric cars even uh, registrations were up 40.9 percent i know that they keep quoting that figure but it's still not many it's still not many it's not but but they're looking at by the end of the year one sixth of all vehicles that's 18 percent because i had to look that one up earlier on uh 18 percent or so of all new vehicle registrations will be battery electric vehicles mm-hmm. uh, if the current trend continues which i thought was quite impressive do you remember how many years i said oh 10 percent, 10 percent, and then eventually i gave up <laughs> sorry that was my my prediction for the next year was always 10 percent, and it came out at five percent and stuff uh, and then i gave up just at the point when it soared yes. to about 10 percent. <laughs> but these things happen just a quick summary by fuel you put in your car as we're discussing that and these are from a tristan young uh he is uh, from auto retail network and auto ne- uh, retail network is a business information provider to the industry thank you tristan for the work you do yes and i actually met him and managed to say that to him face to face and he said that's all right i really enjoy listening to it or something along those lines. That's what I heard him say anyway. Whatever he said, <laughs> it was very nice to meet him uh, at last, after having quoted him so many times. Uh, so anyway, uh, petrol vehicles, 68.55% share of the registrations in April. Diesel vehicles, 10%. Battery electric vehicles, 14.36%. And plug-in hybrids, 6.75%. Cool. Feral breakdown. Petrol still number one by quite a margin. Mm-hmm. If we go to the best registers list, yes, and then of course the top ten. In number ten, you did not have to register many vehicles to hit the top ten in April. One thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven Ford Cougar uh, were were registered in April. At number nine is Volkswagen Polo. Number eight, the A three. Uh, Audi A3, number seven, the Hyundai Tucson, number six, the Peugeot 2008, and we're still no, only two, at 2003. Two, did I say, oh, sorry. Yes, Peugeot 208, and we're still only at 2,327 registrations. Fifth, the Kia Sportage. Fourth, the Vauxhall Corsa with 3,002. Third, the Mini 3,088. Second, the Ford Puma, 200 and something ahead of that. Uh, and then about just under 500 more ahead of that was the Nissan Qashqai. So Nissan Qashqai, number one 
most registered vehicle in April. Mm-hmm. Top three on the year to date. Number three is the Nissan Qashqai. Number two is the Ford Puma. And number one is the Vauxhall Corsa. So Corsa overall, 12,799 registrations so far this year. Those are all very low numbers. They are. They, they really are. But interesting to see the Puma is up there, thereabouts. Well, it is. It is. And it is essentially more profitable Fiesta. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. But not just that. Fiesta's just been facelifted and stuff as well. So we might see a resurgence of Fiesta in the numbers. But it's simply they can't charge as much for it as they can for a Puma. So the Puma's more profitable. Yep. That's what they're selling. That's, that's basically where everyone is focusing at the minute, their most profitable vehicles and areas. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'll run through the marks that didn't do quite as well in April, and I'll start with our Bath is down 20%, Ford is down 22%, so what that means in real terms, last year they registered 12,959, this year 10,060. Okay. Uh, Jaguar down 44%, Jeep are down 32%, Land Rover got hit as well, they're down 29%, Lexus down 47%, Mercedes are down 25%, Peugeot are down 26%, Seat got a battering, they're down 54%, so last year that was 4,144, this year 1,916. Ouch. Yes. Uh, Skoda also were hit quite hard, they are down 35%, Subaru down 44%, which is not very many. But you don't market anything, you can't sell it, can no, you? No, you can't. Uh, Toyota, we're down 23%. Vauxhall down 33%. Volkswagen down 45%. So let's not forget, with all the VW Group companies, they are being hit by the chip crisis as well as wiring looms yeah. from Ukraine, which, funnily enough, are a little bit tricky to get hold of. Yes, people aren't really concentrating on that. Volvo are down 30%, other British are down 17%, and other imports are down 30%. Okay. Alan, do you want to give us some more cheerful things? Well, it's not going to take me very long, is it? No, no. <laughs> so Alpine up 44%, Cupra up 82%. So that's where many of your Seats have gone, folks. Mm. Well, not enough of them. Well, that was 960 plus. Uh, one thousand takes it to almost three thousand. Uh, yeah, and still a four thousand two hundred. It's still fifteen hundred units down on last year. Where was I? Dacia. Oh, uh, Dacia. <laughs> Don't worry. Dacia up eighty nine percent. DS up one hundred and sixty three point eight three percent. So it's one hundred and twenty four vehicles instead of forty seven. Um, uh, Fiat up forty percent. Honda up twenty eight percent. Hyundai up. 64%, Maserati up 16, MG up 26, Mini up 28, Polestar up 28, and Sangyong up 64.76%. The MG award for ridiculous percentages goes to DS this month. It does. <laughs> uh, and I think that just about covers the numbers for this month, doesn't it? Is there anything I've missed? Basically, SMMT are saying the supply chain crisis through chips, the wiring looms, uh, or, or and a knock-on effect from the Ukrainian mm. war because there's, as we know, as we've been mentioning in previous shows recently, there's the whole transporting vehicles 
across continents has been disrupted as well. Yeah. But on top of that, and I think this will start to really hit, is China's zero COVID policy, which has got hundreds of ships, if not more than that now, just in a holding pattern around their mm. ports. They can't get in, they can't move it, and they they have locked down even tighter in the last couple of days as well. Yeah. So that situation is only going to get much, much worse. Hooray, everyone. Yes. Yes. Yes, lots of, lots of, yeah, that's pretty darn grim, isn't it? It is. Anyway, Andrew, do you want to talk about Tobias Moores uh, stepping down as CEO of Aston Martin? Yes, I will do. Uh, we were told a few weeks ago by Stroll, who owns or holds the owning share or the majority share of Aston Martin, that Tobias Moores was not going anywhere and it was a dreadful smear and lie and it was very hurtful that people were saying such things. And lo and behold, he has now actually gone with immediate effect, although he is going to do a handover with the replacement. But the word was or is that his um, direct style, shall we say, met not with universal agreement and acceptance by the staff. He never came across as a popular person. No. It sounds like he had some really tough choices to make when he first came in. Hmm on things that they were prioritizing and how they were going to do things. But they did lose a bunch of people as well since he came on board with that he was he apparently micromanages a bit as well. People weren't able to just get on with things. Mm. So all in all, that's I'm honestly not surprised and reading comments from people who are actually really well informed on this, they were saying surprised it didn't happen in January. That seemed to be the general, the general gist of what I picked up as well was that people were just like, okay, well, he stayed even longer than he was. We really expected because he's just not popular. Yeah, but he's going to be replaced by the former Ferrari CEO, Amadeo Felicia, uh, who was a part of the engineering team of Ferrari, who then went on to actually run the whole company. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's he's obviously during his time he was involved in a lot of the transformation of Ferrari into what the company is today. So uh, why has he come back? I don't know unless it is an eye-watering amount of money or he's bored of retirement. (laughs) (laughs) That could well be it. It could just be that he's bored and someone turned it and they've said, look, would you do do this? But would you you not want a a more uh, calmer environment than what must be the problems for Aston Martin. I mean, particularly financially. Well, although poss- DBX sales have gone up, DBX sales yeah. have gone up. I mean, I've, I've no, we've got four locally now. We hadn't, I hadn't seen one on the road until two weeks ago. And now there's four going around my town. I, I've only seen a couple around. So, um, I can't, couldn't believe it. I, like, I, have, I have seen a UMM Alter more recently than I have seen an Aston DBX. It's obscure comparisons for you. Best of luck, as we always say, and I think everybody says, we want Aston Martin to succeed and be successful and not be lurching from panic to panic, don't we? Oh, for once. But it's Aston Martin. Aston Martin lives on lurching from panic to panic and almost not almost succeeding, but then not quite, and then not quite failing. It's, <laughs> it's the Aston Martin way, sadly. Um, <laughs> and it's difficult for us as a result. But just a little bit less James Bond dependency and a little bit more cool new stuff would be good. Yep. 
Talking of cool new stuff, though, do you want to take us to Lotus? Yes, and, and, and companies which almost succeed and then almost fail. Uh, Lotus uh, has officially opened an all-new sports car manufacturing facility at Hethel. It is the Chapman Production Center, as it is officially known, is is a world-class center of excellence. Oh, this is a this is the press release. That explains yes. it. Is the world-class center of excellence that's already building the Amira and is preparing to build, obviously, non-petrol-powered cars in the future. So that's great. There's uh, 300 new staff have joined the company, and they've all been or they are going through the Lotus Learning Academy. They're being trained in the high-quality manufacturing operations they need to begin their career at lotus well it is now if we look at if we there, if we return back to the new it. cars that they've revealed and how much high-tech wizardry and stuff is in them because of what they're aiming to do now as a, a with the financial more financial security mm. that geely ownership has given them exactly and it's not the danny baha ha 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 fantasy mm-hmm. but this seems to be a realistic aim because when they're talking about the the number of models it's not suddenly going to like half a million in the next 18 months. They are they are talking a jump in thousands. Uh-huh. Have, did you notice that they're opening a new brand center on Piccadilly as well? They are opening. It's yes. It's not quite open yet, opposite yeah, the Ritz, um, which is kind of funny because Danny Bahaha opened one at Piccadilly Circus, which was there for quite a long time. I guess it was until the, until the lease was finished. <laughs> Uh, but it was right on Piccadilly Circus. But this new one is, I forgot what the building used to be. I can't think what it used to be, actually. But it is right opposite the Ritz, just across from where Audi and formerly Infinity had showrooms oh, as right. well. But they've gone there. But, yeah, that's where I bought my Infinity from. Ah, but this production centre is part of the 100 million that's being invested in the UK facilities as well. It is, absolutely. The previous production units uh, and production buildings are now being moved over to sub-assembly production as well. So they're not being splatted or anything like that. This is additional uh, as opposed to anything else. So I, I think this is great news. Really good. Looking forward to seeing the outcome of this. Money is being spent in the right areas for me. Yeah. They are investing in their production capability and standards, which you can say, oh, we're going to have all these models all you like. But if you don't have the facilities to build them, let alone build them well, then it is just fantasy land. The important bit is the investment in the people. Yep. I I know I was pretty tongue in cheek there, but no, it's only the 300 new staff is only in production operations. They're also recruiting against already skilled manufacturing operatives, engineers and technicians, the whole place. That investment in the people, I think, is the important bit. And that's what will make this succeed, as opposed to just, hey, look at the new shiny building. Yep. Brilliant stuff. Right. Well, I'm going to take us to, we'll continue our journey of production, but this time production that's stopping for the time being. Mini has decided that they can no longer build their manual cars because of supply problems linked to what we were talking about in the new car registration figures. Mm. You will only be able to get hold of new automatic vehicles. Now, this may just be a coincidence, but that happens to mean that the cars are £1,400 more expensive than they would have been if they were only manuals. I think it's a lucky... It is a funny way around, isn't it? It is Mm. a curious glitch, but it may well be that that if they're selling in big numbers, then it's the automatics are selling well in the US, selling well in China. Yeah. And that's where it's the choice of one or t'other. So let's have the automatic. Not just because that's what more people are buying around the world, not just because it's more expensive as well. Yes. 
I assume the Mini Electric doesn't suffer those issues, so you can still buy the electrics. But it's, it's only so it's only automatic anyway. So. so, well, yes, but it's not even automatic. Automatic. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that that's not affected. No. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't really know where to go with that story after that. To be perfectly honest. No, well, it's just it's just one of those things. I think we're going to see an increasing amount of that or continued uh, where things crop up and do affect companies for brief amounts of time or brief models, things like that. I think we're just going to start seeing more and more localized production of more components. I I do think that that's the outcome of this from both uh, COVID and Ukraine. It's shown up. uh, There was an article recently. I didn't read it properly. I didn't have time, but it was like, is this the end of just-in-time manufacturing? And I don't think it is the end of just-in-time manufacturing. But what I do think it is, is it's the end of we shall have one glo- one supply hub for the entire globe. Yes. That dependency on all of our things are made in Ukraine. Yeah. No. No. That, that's not going to be that's not going to be the case anymore. Supply security should have been better handled. It should have been, but on the other hand, across all industries, I'm not talking about just the oh, car no, no. industry. Oh, d- d- oh yeah, this, sorry, that, this is pan industry. I'm talking about it in a car industry specific way because we're the motoring podcast. But again, I think that we'll start to see that, and you know, you may well find well, actually, some of the harnesses are made in Spain, but they cause there's a bit of space to ramp up a bit more production there. It should there be issues with supply from somewhere else? I don't think it's going to mean everything is made on your doorstep. No. But I think there are going to be contingencies, much like there are backup data centers in the IT world. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a little bit more of that kind of thinking and a little bit more redundancy in some of these supply chains. They've been paired and honed and paired and honed so much over the years, which is great. Perfect. Brilliant for saving money. Not so good whenever there is disruption. And I think the last uh, two and a half, three years have really shown us just how much disruption you can have if you don't have everything covered off. Yes, and if anybody does need supply chain consultancy and help, we can actually give that as part of the day job. (laughs) I can show you how to model it beautifully. (laughs) Right, do you want to take us to the telly anyway? (laughs) Not really, I haven't watched telly in ages. What's important here is the Advertising Standards Agency. Land Rover have had an advert banned. Now, it's been banned because it shows three new defenders backing up towards the edge of a cliff and then then stopping. And people have complained, there have been complaints even, that parking sensors wouldn't warn drivers if they're about to fall off a cliff. Land Rover tried to say that they were responding to boulders, but really, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not quite the point, really. Um, the advert was banned, not allowed to be shown again in the UK, according to the Advertising Standards Agency, after two complaints but when we when this has come up before though we have said this should not be we only pay attention if a ton of people complain if it's wrong it's wrong because what the what the asa said because normally we i definitely am very much a oh for goodness sake haven't you got something better to do with your time reaction to these but they said that some viewers, this is what ASA said, some viewers would therefore interpret that it meant that the car's parking sensors could recognise when the drivers might be reversing near a drop. But on the other hand, Land Rover that argued, and there is a screenshot uh, in the story from Car Dealer Magazine from the thing, showing quite clearly that the Land Rover, and it has outlined the boulder that it has sensed on the top-down image. 
But the advertising standards agency was saying that that was not obvious that the parking sensors were reacting to the rocks rather than the cliff edge. Yeah. But but again, we, we can't go with it needs a ton of people to complain. If if it's wrong, it's wrong. On the other or hand, if, it's, ha- if it can be misinterpreted. On the other hand, how boring and empty is your life that you would actually spend that long analysing a car advert and then writing to the advertising standards agency to complain about it? They're saving people's lives, Alan. Don't knock them. Oh, they're not saving people's lives. <laughs> they're being whiny, silly people. There we are. Well, I think that's the end of the first part. It is, it is. You might notice we're a little bit light tonight. But however, well, I want to talk a bit of a different guilt minute because I want to tell you about something that we're doing. And it's too important a thing to be putting into uh, into parish notes at the end. Uh, the MOVE conference about the future of mobility will be taking place in London on Wednesday and Thursday, the 15th and 16th of June. Combined conference and exhibition will cover all sorts of topics that we love to talk about on the motoring podcast, including electric cars, autonomous cars, security, regulation, and liability. That's an Andrew favorite there. Uh, Future fuels. That's why it got included. uh, Business models and so, so much more. Now, we're both going to be there on the 15th. And sadly, we're not both going to be able to just wander around and enjoy the the sights and sounds because I'm going to be hosting a panel. And the title of the panel is called All These EV Targets where's the charging infrastructure no we didn't write that ourselves i know it sounds like we could have done but we didn't i'm going to be joined by katie black the head of the uk's office for zero emission vehicles daniel tibble director of data science and analytics of the connected vehicle data company Wejo. i think that's how you pronounce it and hui zhuang the vice president for europe of the ev company neo so no pressure for the podcast hobbyist then yeah, I won't heckle you. I'll, I'll be. I will not heckle Leading you. Don't worry. <laughs> if you would like to see this, if you would like to be or be part of it uh, as well as the rest of the conference in person, then we do have a limited number of free guest passes available for our listeners. You can find the link to register for those, as well as a link to the entire conference schedule, in this week's show notes. Obviously, all the usual ways to support us remain available to you and can be found at motoringpodcast.com. I'm terrified but looking forward to this, Andrew. I think you'll do marvellously. As I say, no pressure uh, on the hobbies. It should be interesting. It's half the, That panel is half an hour long. You can come along, treat it like a, 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 a special edition. Mm-hmm. No, I'm looking forward to it. Lots cool. lots of things to go and look at and ask people questions. And Loads of stuff. I mean, that's that's the electric vehicle one thread that I'm part of. There's a whole other one of that that just, it's really interesting. It's fantastic in motoring podcast, actually. Yes. Which may be a reason why you've been asked to. Yes, oh, possibly. Uh, anyway, new, new car news, Andrew. Let's move on. New, new car news. And I will start with the Mercedes-Benz T-Class, which is a van-derived car which shares its uh, underpinnings with the Renault Kangoo, the same as the old Mercedes-Benz Citan that we had. Yes, that was but better. Fine, I suppose, but eye-wateringly expensive when you, as soon as you wanted anything like an electric window or maybe a screen you could see. I'm still amazed Carolyn spoke to me after that special edition where we basically went through and went, it's that, plus VAT for floor mats mm. and windows and seats. Yes. Well, if Mercedes-Benz UK go off the German pricing, then the 
starter for this will be 24,565. So that's mm. what it is in Germany. I reckon it might be a few pennies more than that, but that puts it in line with what is considered to be the main competition, which is the Volkswagen Caddy. Is it me, or does this actually look quite acceptable? N- not so much the yellow one. This looks so much better than the Citan. The oh, Citan the C- really was just a rebadged. The, the Citan was a, was tacked on. It was never meant to be that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't envisaged at the time of creating the Kangoo. Therefore, it really was sort of topped and tailed. Whereas this actually looks like it was designed as a coherent vehicle. You know what? The shape, the, the front end reminds me a lot of the Ford van-derived car, uh, I have to say. Yes, the tran- it's uh, I want to tran- call it Transit Connect, and it's not. It's got a different name. I can't think what it is. Can't remember what it is. But that's hardly a bad thing, is it? No, no, no. It's, it's it. Like I said, it looks uh, so much better. It looks much nicer. Proof will be in the pudding. Uh, mm. Whether they have carried across and made it feel like a Mercedes on the inside, because this is very close to the B class in terms of size and shape and what it's supposed to be who it's supposed to be appealing to you yes know? but this will be sold as a van as well and the b-class won't be no yeah i know that i know that difference. but if you are someone looking for a passenger vehicle hmm. then there's probably a slight difference so the b-class is more like that two series active tour that i talked about last week yeah but the it's so only it's, like for example the um the boot is only 31 liters more than the b-class hmm so it really is quite close on that, but, those but terms. it depends on where the measurement is up to and how you'd actually use this and stuff. Yeah. I think the inside of this looks quite smart, by the way, but it probably won't f- have the same touchy-feely niceness as a B-Class. No, no. Relatively and we've got to remember, this is going to have a range of petrol and diesel engines and we'll, there will be a full EV version mm. as well down the line. But their main competition, which would have been the Bilingo, the Rifter, and whatever Vauxhall's one is, are electric only. And whilst more people are going for electric only, the ranges in those will not compete with the range for the fuel in this. No, no, exactly. But there we go. Sorry, I'm trying I'm trying not to be rude about car companies. No, I'm interested to see what this is like in the flesh. And once they're out, hopefully I can get a bit of a, a chance at it because I've, I've tried the previous one. And mm. obviously... I do like, in case anyone's deaf or has been living under a rock, I do like a van-derived vehicle. <laughs> yes, and this one is this one looks looks funky and, and nice and, and, and as modern as you get with these things. Yep. Lifestyle. Absolutely. Speaking of lifestyle, at the other end of that kind of scale, Isuzu UK has confirmed specs and prices for the new Arctic Trucks AT35 version of the D-Max. Uh, which is now available to order. Well, it was available to order last Tuesday. Looks fab. I've seen one. Yes, the one that's in the pictures here was at the SMMT. Was at SMMT day last week, uh, last the other week before last, whenever it was. Uh, it was there, and it is. It is rather cool. It is cool. It's completely excess- excessive. Rather oh, silly. It's ridiculous in almost every way, but it's it's fabulous. <laughs> and I get hugely offended by the fact they have another model called the D Max V Cross but that's just me. Uh, so it is based on the, the top spec of D-Max. It's pumped up. It's got big wheels. It's got big tires. It's got big arches. It features leather trim. It's got a nine-inch multimedia screen with CarPlay and Android Auto. It's got an eight-speaker sound system, wireless phone charging, and all the lean safety systems. 
yes and including lane departure warning and hopefully blind spot warning as well so you don't trample over any smaller cars <laughs> <laughs> uh, excluding vat for it is a commercial vehicle prices start at forty-seven thousand nine hundred ninety-nine for an at35 with a manual gearbox you would don't want that uh, you really want the forty-nine thousand four hundred ninety-nine pound automatic version ace did <laughs> so silly completely and totally ridiculous and unnecessary so we both want one yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course we do of course we do lunchtime read then i like this one yes this is from design field trip and this is talking about the interior evolution of the jaguar mark ii to the xf is running through the history of jaguar's executive cars over the years what was good what was not good what made it a jaguar what sort of missteps have been made along the line uh, along the way and how they can rectify them Mm -hmm. i think is the plea is what i'm getting from this but it is written by someone who clearly likes jaguar Mm -hmm. and just wants them to be jaguar on their interiors yes yeah i mean i I, and not the lincoln ls for example that was that was one of them (laughs) i thought it was a really interesting article i really enjoyed this one it's nicely illustrated as well. Yeah. Both the good and the bad. It's kind of cool. I like the fact that they just, with the design field trip, have picked a specific part of the car. They haven't gone for the whole car. They've gone, no, just the interior. No, well, this is part of a series about the interiors as well. So uh, that's what they're doing. They're doing a, a specific series on interior design. So mm. I'm looking forward to reading the rest of them, to be honest. Yep. Yeah, so do click the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. List of the week this week is from uh, retro motor which is the retro part of uh, motoring research and it is by john redfern oh goodness me it's from october the 5th 2020 it's been around a little while but it is the coolest cars of the 1990s and frankly i'm having trouble choosing from this quite long list andrew do you have a particular favorite because i could Um. choose about six I, I th- well, yeah, more. equally, equally, I could have picked a whole host, but I think I will go for the 1996 Audi S8, primarily because none of the other cars in that list spin round and remove the bomb off the bottom of it, and thereby save the occupants with the help of a crane. Right, you've been watching too much. Um transporter transporter yeah i can't i was trying to think of the name of the 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 name of the movie in which the actor plays the actor i can't remember his name either to be perfectly honest um what do i have have you got one then i've got many that's the problem i know Um, there's there is so many there there's a few that definitely wouldn't but uh, okay, I'm going to choose the McLaren F1 because any list uh, containing the McLaren F1, you should mention and choose the McLaren F1. Okay. Uh, that was that was such a cop-out. No, cop no, out. but anyone who, well, as everyone will click the links, because I know everybody does click the links all the time on the show notes that are compiled, they'll see that that is not a bad decision in any way. There's not. There's some. I mean, the very first one on the list. Maybe I should have chosen that. It's one of my favourite car colours ever. The next one down. It's wonderful. The one after that. I love it. And the factory as well. <laughs> and then the one after that is designed by Gijaro. Yeah. You know, it's designed by Gijaro, but it's it's not a traditional Gijaro. 
and and then the one after that's ridiculous and you know just cool the one after that's crap uh and then the one after that's gorgeous as well you know and and we and, go and on. the one after that is my favorite from that mark in the last 30 years so you know i, I could do that right the way through this flipping list it's great it's a cracker go have a look after which excitement andrew do you want to tell us about this week's and finally yes i thought that we'd pick up the baton of jealousy once again over Anthony Ingram's trip to France, a road trip through France. Uh, this time it's his little visit or quick visit to a sort of rundown car lot that he found on the side of the road as he was going along. And it's just wonderful. I, Well, I know you and I could lose a day or two around such a place, and I am very confident that most of our listeners would as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's places so there's one place just off the a4 on my way down south one day goodness knows when one day i will actually get a chance to go off the autoroute and go down and find the field full of stuff from the other side and it's just rows of cool cars i mean here the great advantage this one has being down on the route napoleon uh, is that it's it's nice and dry down there so stuff hasn't really rotted or anything like that it's uh just stuff looks awesome yep so cool do go read it please yeah well, just, you, as much as anything just have a look at the pictures <laughs> pictures are great they are those sort of you would expect some of them to appear in france magazine i'm not quite sure which part of france magazine because they're not very good at that they have much better at old churches and villages with flowers and stuff but some of the snaps are just just wonderful i love the bmw one um e20 three i think bmw 5 series yeah uh, e12 e12 it even says that apologies great stuff that pretty much does it for this week genesis g70 shooting break special edition came out last friday do go have a listen to that because that's that's kind of interesting on a, a mark that you might not be familiar with yet yeah it's a modern fast estate car mm. Mm. Uh, lots of stuff there and a reminder about the move conference of course a link is in the show notes uh just there. there's a link to the as i said the entire conference schedule and also to register for free tickets which cover you for both days the fact that we can only be there for one is is logistical and uh, you know i need to perform a day job um sadly we would like to spend more time there yes uh that's done it for us for this week and next week we're back on tuesday again usual time yes restored good so don't forget that between now and then you can give us any feedback share your thoughts on the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities i remember you can support us financially via patreon and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Now, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter again, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, because if I don't spell it, you all get upset. We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>